Welcome to another edition of the TDN Writers Room. My name is Bill Finley. I'm a correspondent for the TDN and I'm the co-host of the Down the Stretch Radio Show every Saturday morning on Sirius XM Radio. Hi, y'all. Or maybe hi, you guys. I'm uh, Randy Moss with NBC Sports. Zoe Kaplan here with First Racing and Santa Anita. Delighted that the real Randy Moss didn't run off for Taylor Swift. <laughs> So we're, we're happy to see that, although that might be a good thing. And very happy that Bill is still wearing his cool new glasses. So glad to be here. <laughs> Thank you very much, Zoe. All right. Racetrack races last weekend. Not a ton going on, um, but a couple things to talk about. The Sam F. Davis at Tampa Bay Downs was won by no more time. Surprisingly, that horse was the favorite, a three to one. I don't think anybody really saw that. Of course, I like Change of Command, who was the favorite for Shug McGahey. I thought he was an up-and-comer. He ran dead last. I have no idea what the um, problem was there. Uh, an 80-buyer figure for this race. I don't think we saw the Kentucky Derby winner in the Sam F. Davis, Randy. No, I totally agree. I mean, a nice win for no more time. Congratulations to the connections. Agate Road, the runner-up, proved that he can handle dirt as well as he can handle turf. Uh, extra distance should help him, but I think he's going to be another one of these horses that's uh, perfectly managed by Todd Pletcher to get just enough points to get into the Kentucky Derby and then be 35 or 40 to 1 uh, during the Derby itself. I was kind of interested in the trip of the fourth place horse, uh, Elysian Meadows, who was impossibly wide from the number 12 post position, still was beaten only ahead for third. Uh, I think he deserves a chance to move on to another Triple Crown prep race and and see how he does. But, uh, no, this was probably, uh, all things considered, a uh, second-level uh, derby prep race, Zoe. I would agree with you. Um, you know, no more time. Got a good ride by Paco, as expected. Uh, he's by not this time, so we'll hear from Mr. Taylor a little bit later on. But he snuck into the winner's circle by all accounts. He was very happy with that. Uh, bred on the same cross as a uh, filly that won a grade one race at Keeneland. So he is well bred. I thought Agate Road, like you mentioned, Randy, proved everything you want to see moving forward and likely give Todd maybe five contenders in this year's Derby. Do you think Todd likes that? Having so many that just get into the Derby? I mean, or do you think, I mean, surely he'd much rather just have one or two that are really, really good. He's just so good at getting there. Do you think that like burns on him a little bit? I, well, that, that's why he's two for 64 in the Derby. Yeah. So, um, yeah. That's got a sting. Don't you think Randy? Well, his owners are certainly happy to get a chance to, you know, to compete in the Kentucky Derby. And that's what it's all about for Todd to get as many horses into the Derby for his owners as he possibly can. And he's won a couple of derbies. So one more thing about Agate Road and the race he ran uh, in the Sam Davis. And I've, I've said Stuff like this before. And uh, this is for Zoe as much as anybody. Jose Ortiz, right? So you're on a horse around the first turn who is last, and there's not another horse within five lengths of him going around the first turn. 
And it's not just Jose Ortiz. It's so many other top jockeys in America. He goes the entire first turn in the three path, giving up unnecessary ground. He loses by a length and a quarter. That actually could have cost him the race. Instead of sitting on the rail with no other horse around him, he's out in the three path, just giving up that ground. It's as if jockeys only believe that geometry matters when they're going around the second turn and they're cutting the corner into the stretch or whatever. It matters just as much on the first turn as it does the second turn. And this sort of thing, we see it all the time. Top riders do it. And it's just maddening. Anyway, that's my soapbox moment. I'm thinking maybe (laughs) in this instance, he wanted to keep all the dirt out of his face because he's coming off turf races. I'm, that's where I'm going. But I, I get what you're okay. saying. In this particular instance, I think they didn't want him to be covered. But I know exactly what you mean, Randy. Okay. Thank you. So the most widely anticipated race involving three-year-olds I don't this weekend was not the Sam F. Davis. I think it was that allowance race Sunday at Santa Anita. Bob Baffert had a horse, TDN Rising Star, by the name of May Mun, who looked fantastic breaking his maiden. Typical Baffert horse, cost a zillion dollars, went out and ran a very fast number in his debut. He was the heavy favorite. Um, and there was another horse in uh, from Baffert by the name of Imagination. On paper, didn't look nearly as good as a stable mate, but both, I think you got to say both ran very well. I, I mean, I think people uh, would have liked to see Maymun draw off and win by five, six lengths, but I think his stable mate just stepped up a bit and was able to nearly beat him. But here we go. We have an embarrassment of riches, more Baffert horses uh, that are look like they could be very competitive in the Kentucky Derby. And they'll be spending the first Saturday in May in their stalls in Arcadia, California. But uh, Zoe, what did you think of Maymon? Um, I liked him going in. I'm not a believer that imagination's not a good horse. I mean, he'd already won twice going two turns. He had experience under his belt. Maymum just won six furlong race, which was brilliant. They, he cost 900000 Jesse Longoria sold him, but originally he was only a $50,000 yearling. He just worked in nine and three at the OBS sale. So I liked Imagination, and he got the perfect trip by Pratt, who snuck up on him on the far turn and thought he was going to go on by, but Maymum just showing how tenacious he was. Now, let's not forget that he blew the first turn much like he did in his debut. He took everyone out on the first turn in that race. I mean, I'm surprised there wasn't much more of an inquiry about it because he did not make the turn. He's still very green, but he did show some racehorse tendencies in there for May Moon. They're both good going forward. Yeah, May Moon looks so good when he broke his maiden that I was actually of the opinion that Baffert might have the two best three-year-olds in the country. And I'm not talking about Muth. I was talking about Nisos and May Moon. So I was really looking forward to watching him run. But I agree that imagination, look, in his race before this, when he won the allowance race around two turns, okay, the horse that finished third in that race that was beaten 10 and three-quarters lengths was another Baffert horse by the name of Cornell, who came came back just the other day and broke his maiden looking very, very good. The number wasn't all that good, the speed figure guys in that particular race, but it was the only two-turn race of the day. And I think in hindsight, the race was a lot better than we actually may have given it credit for. So, yeah, May Moon showed a lot of, of tenacity and fighting back along the inside. 
I'm going to dial it back just a little bit, in my opinion, about May Moon. But I think both horses are horses to uh, definitely to keep an eye on going forward. The Bob Baffert Express also has a very good filly. The Las Virginas Stakes, Kinza, who got a 96 when she broke her maiden uh, for Baffert, uh, 96 buyer figure, came back to face Copion, trained by Dick Mandela, a two-time winner and the winner of the Santa Ynez Stakes. Uh, looked like a two-horse race on paper. Maybe Copian uh, I gave the edge to because he had a little bit more experience. But Kinza won quite comfortably by two lengths. Didn't go uh, run away and win by 10, but it didn't look at any point like Copian was going to get by. So, you know, we keep bringing this up, but it's a storyline that we're going to probably talk about on virtually every one of these podcasts between now and the Kentucky Derby. Now this Baffert ban is affecting the Kentucky Oaks. Um, I know uh, just FYI has got strong credentials, but Randy, I would think with those buyer numbers on Kinza, which are much faster than the horses that were the main two-year-old fillies last year, you'd have to make her the horse to beat in the Kentucky Oaks. And of course, she won't be there. So, you know, look, uh, Churchill Downs, I think they shot themselves in the foot. Uh, they were going to have a, presumably a Kentucky Derby and a Kentucky Oaks is going to be missing some of the very best horses in training. And that's certainly not uh, anybody's uh, idea of a good idea. Yeah, let me let Zoe start with this first because I got something else to say about that particular situation at the end. Zoe, what do you think about Kenza? I thought she was good. Did I love her in this race? No, I was all over Copian. I loved Copian and looking at them both in the paddock, if you're going to look at a two-turn filly, you're going to look at Copian and not Kinza. We actually looked at her at the two-year-old sale. Dave McCathan's grassroots sold her. Now, he picked her up for 30000 at the OBS October sale and managed to sell her for three fifty. We were thinking we might get her for 100000 She hasn't grown very much, and she runs hot. Boy, did she run hot. She's not very big, but... She's obviously as game as a pebble. I mean, in her debut, she was brilliant. I was like, wow. Two turns, I was like, she's, she looks like a sprinter. She's not getting two turns. And she did. And she did it convincingly over a very nice filly. We'll hear from JJ Hernandez, who I spoke to for First Things First. And he was very impressed with this filly. She runs in a massive pair of earplugs just to kind of keep her feet on the ground. And they pull them out right before the gate. But I did speak to Pratt about Copion. And he thought that he was going to go on by. And then he was almost like blaming himself for her debut that she won by six. He said, I wish I hadn't been quite so easy on her. And she got a little bit more out of it because she won so impressively and so easily. He thinks that perhaps Mandela had gone a little easy on her and she wasn't quite up to the mark to beat Kinza. We'll see them rematch a little bit later on. As for Bob and the the Oaks, this filly will win an Oak somewhere. She really will. She'll likely go to Sunland or somewhere. Maybe we'll see her at the fairgrounds. So, look, I, I agree that that's all we're going to be talking about leading up to the Derby and the Oaks, and that's all anybody's going to be talking about at the Derby and the Oaks. I don't think it's too late for Churchill Downs to do an about face and to change its mind. We haven't even had the 50-point prep races yet. The Risen Star, I guess, might be the first one of those. I don't necessarily I don't know anything I don't expect it to happen but Churchill Downs could still do the right thing I've even got the press release sort of written in my head 
Okay, where where Churchill Downs says that, you know, in in the spirit of competition and after consultation with our board of directors and other industry leaders, uh, Churchill Downs Incorporated will conditionally permit horses trained by Bob Baffert to compete in the Derby Oaks and other stakes races. Derby and Oaks points accrued will immediately be applied retroactively. Uh, CDI strongly believes the Kentucky Derby should annually feature the best three-year-olds in America. Additionally, CDI wishes to avoid unnecessary distractions as it celebrates the 150th anniversary of the Derby. Uh, Churchill Downs could give credit to, you know, the dropping of the lawsuits into Baffert's recent statements as a step in the right direction. And CDI could also say, look, The decision to permit Baffert-trained horses is contingent on two stipulations. First, Mr. Baffert must agree to extended pre-race testing for both therapeutic medications and banned medications. And secondly, Baffert must agree in writing that CDI reserves the right to reinstate the ban at any future date if it believes that Baffert's actions have jeopardized the integrity of America's greatest horse race. It's easy. Churchill Downs could still do this and do the right thing. And I think the entire industry or 95% of the industry, as well as racing fans, would applaud it. And I think it would actually enhance the reputation throughout the industry of CDI if they were to do something like this, right? If if it looks like NISOs is a potential triple crown winner, everybody wants to see the horse run in the Kentucky Derby. And Churchill Downs, I agree, Bill, would be shooting itself in the foot uh, if they continue down this road. Randy, it's a great thought, but it ain't going to happen. You know, <laughs> I didn't say I thought it would. It makes too much sense. <clears throat> Things that make that much sense in horse racing never happen. No, but uh, I, I totally agree with you. Um, you know, and, and you know, it's the only way to change the narrative because the narrative, as you mentioned, is is all eyes were supposed to be on the celebration of the 150th Kentucky Derby. Now all eyes are going to be on where's Nisos You're right. and uh, where's <laughs> Muth and where's... Um, could you yeah. imagine if Churchill actually did that and then Bob was like, I'll screw you, Churchill, I'll see you next year. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if you're an owner and a trainer of one of the leading Kentucky Derby horses, okay, yeah, you want to win the Derby, but you don't want to be Country House or Mandaloon and win a Kentucky Derby with an asterisk. And that's what this Kentucky Derby is going to be if NISO stays healthy. And the other Baffert horses as well. And, you know, they would be front and center. Nisos would be a heavy favorite in the Derby and he's not there. Right? It would be a Derby with an asterisk. And I don't think even the other horsemen involved want a situation like that. Totally agree. Do want to remind you that the TDN Writers Room is brought to you by Keeneland. We already mentioned that the Sam F. Davis winner, no more time was a $40,000 purchase from the Keeneland September sale. Let's move on and talk about tickets for the Keeneland Spring Meet, which runs from April the 5th through the 26th. They will go on sale on February the 20th. And Keeneland is accepting entries for the 2024 April Horses of Racing Age sale, which will be held on April the 26th. That's a Friday after the races on closing day of the Spring Meet. We'll be right back after this message from Keeneland. Keeneland, 
a horse will always be measured in hands. Hands that see, that sense, that speak. Hands that hold our sport to a higher standard. Not for our sake, but for theirs. For the love of the horse. For generations to come. The Fastest Horse of the Week is brought to you by Improbable, one of the fast sires at Windstar Farm. Improbable, a four-time grade one winner whose first two-year-olds right now are in the barn preparing to run later this year. Improbable, the first horse in Seattle slew to be a grade one winner, undefeated as a two-year-old, and then to go on to win an Eclipse Award as a champion older male. In this in this case, uh, Improbable was a four-year-old when he accomplished that feat. Last Last year, Improbable's yearling sold for up to $650,000. He's from the immediate family of Hard Spun. His dam is out of a half-sister to Hard Spun, and Improbable stands at Windstar for a fee of only $15,000. Now, the fastest horse of the week won Saturday in the San Marcos at Santa Anita. His name is Miss the Cut, and he got a 100 buyer speed figure. This is the same horse that ran last in the Breeders' Cup Classic. He came back in his next start in the San Gabriel at a mile and an eighth at Santa Anita the day after Christmas. Got a beautiful rail skimming ride from Irad Ortiz and finished second that day to a horse named Easter. Then he came back at a longer distance in the San Marcos. That was key. And got another beautiful rail trip courtesy of Joel Rosario to win that race uh, as well. Again, a 100 buyer speed figure. The co-owners, BZ, Lane's in, Vinny Viola, EJ Hudson Jr. and Lynn Hudson. And his original owner from England, Ed Babington, have now told trainer John Sadler they're considering bringing this horse to Royal Ascot to run in June. Here's the interesting part. This horse has already won at Royal Ascot. June 18th, 2022, he won an undercard race, uh, a minor stakes race. So he does have some experience winning at Royal Ascot, so maybe that's a good reason to send him back. During his 14-year career, Randy Moss had a season, single-season record of touchdowns of 23. Uh, he was the NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year in 1998 uh, and was kind of a little bit known as a head case. Um, Randy, you're, you're not, not a head case, and, 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 uh, uh, but I had no idea you had such a, uh, such a prolific uh, career in, as a wide receiver for mainly for the Minnesota Vikings. What, what's up with that? Oh, this whole thing. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it went viral. So it, this whole thing started, right? I, I did a speaking engagement at the University of Arizona at their symposium. And afterward, I had a long talk with Chip Tuttle, who does a lot of advertising work for the NTRA. I've known Chip for a long time. Great respect for him. And we talked about the issues in thoroughbred racing, namely horse safety. And I mentioned the opinion, we've talked about it, that more is being done right now for horse safety than at any time in our lifetimes, right? The, it's ticking downward, the, 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 uh, the horse injuries, the, uh, the you know, catastrophic horse injuries, but still, the industry is doubling down on horse safety. So then I get a phone call a month or so later from Chip saying, hey, if you really believe that, would you be willing to go to the Super Bowl and go to Radio Row and talk about horse safety. Uh, since you previously worked at NFL Network for 13 years, you can talk football as well. So that's what I did. 
And right off the bat, there's a big show in New York on WFAN, which is arguably is the uh, is the biggest sports talk radio station in America. Boomer and Geo with Boomer E. Sison. And the producer didn't bother to really read the email. And he thought he was getting the football Randy Moss. And who wouldn't rather have the football Randy Moss to talk about the Super uh, the Super Bowl than me? And the whole thing went viral. You can find it on uh, on YouTube. You can find it on Twitter. They discovered on air that they were getting me instead of the wide receiver Randy Moss. So that's, that's all these radio stations we're talking about all week long. I probably did 15 radio shows from places all around the country. They all wanted to talk about it. Three or four of them booked me only because of that, because they wanted to hear me and, you know, to talk about what that, what that whole thing was like. But yeah, we worked. We, I got a chance to talk about the Super Bowl. That's the way these things work, right? All these people, these athletes and stuff come to Radio Row and they got something to sell, right? I ran into, uh, uh, Baker Mayfield, who was, uh, he had an Advance Auto Parts shirt on, and he was being tailed by three or four guys from Advance Auto Parts. And he talks about football, and then he gets in stuff about Advance Auto Parts, right? Kurt Warner was there. He's he's represented in, in, everything from Amway to Skittles at Super Bowl on Radio Row. Well, I was there to talk about horse racing and horse safety. So I would talk about the Super Bowl, and fortunately, I picked the Chiefs, and I explained why I thought the Chiefs would win. And then they talk about the Kentucky Derby, and then we talk about horse safety. So I, I hope it was a good thing. Um, I, we definitely got plenty of radio exposure and definitely got a lot of uh, uh, unanticipated social media exposure through the whole Boomer and Geo thing. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. And then I got back on a plane and I got a chance to watch the Super Bowl on TV the way I would prefer. <laughs> the Boomer and Geo thing was just brilliant. And the two guys were like, wait, hold on. You mean Randy Moss is white? And he's got a bald head. Wait, what? The white whip? And he's talking horse racing. It was hysterical. Oh, as I tweeted out, I mean, it's really easy to tell us apart, right? He's the one with hair. And ESPN and their pre uh, their pre Super Bowl coverage. You know, Randy Moss has a thing that he does every week during the season. You've got Mossed. It's it's a it's a big thing. This is what he used. You got mossed. They played the clip from Boomer and Geo, and then uh, he had a good time with it as well. So anyway, so all kidding aside, now and you've been a good sport about the whole thing. How were you received? Did, were these people? I know that they have a ton of airtime that they have to fill, but were these guys, uh, you know, happy to be talking horse racing, uh, the, that you were putting out a, a good message? Uh, did that go over well? Um, you know, what was the general reaction as soon as they found out that you had never caught a uh, pass in your entire life? <laughs> it was a positive reaction. I mean, most of the people that booked me were people that knew me. Because I get a lot of radio calls before the Kentucky Derby, uh, if there's a chance to sweep the Triple Crown before the Belmont. So I've already done stuff with a lot of these radio stations in the past. Some of the people involved, uh, some of them were gambling shows, and the people involved were horse racing fans already. But even the ones that weren't, yeah. I mean, I thought it was pretty well received. Uh Kentucky Derby talk is always good for those people because everybody knows about the Kentucky Derby. Uh, but not everybody knows that there are two Randy Mosses out there, as it turns <laughs> no. out. You, you know, when we first started doing this, I told my boyfriend, and he's like, well, who do you do it with? I'm like, oh, Bill Finley and Randy Moss. He's like, wait, wait, wait. 
wait, you do it with Randy Moss? A podcast with Randy Moss? I'm like, yeah, he's great. I don't really know the other Randy Moss. And he was like, I thought you were talking about the football Randy Moss. I'm like, no. So, and yeah, I live in Randy, Minnesota. So there. It's, it's a common Did you at least play high school football or anything? Uh, I played junior high football. Junior high, okay. Yeah, All but right. not, uh, not high school football, no. I was a baseball guy. Katidian Riders Room brought to you by the Pennsylvania Horse Breeders Association. Mayor domicile reports, don't forget, should have already been completed for the foals of 2024 for the mayor's foaling this year. But for those purchased at public sale or those being bred back to a Pennsylvania stallion, don't forget, as soon as your mayor enters the state, you need to fill out this mayor domicile report. You can find it at pabred.com under the forms Tab. And of course, it's very beneficial to have a horse bred in the state of Pennsylvania. Don't forget that PA Sired PA Bread Series. The first leg takes place on Pennsylvania Derby Day for two year olds, $100,000, two year old Colts, two year old Phillies. And the nominations for that series right now, they're $500 until the end of April. Don't forget to take advantage of that because the fee will go up after that. PA Bread, I think we've built a, a brand. At this point, the state of Pennsylvania has the best breeders program in the entire United States. Angel of Empire wins the Arkansas Derby and wins it clear. Caravel in the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint. Pennsylvania and the PHBA have the best state bred program in the country, bar none. The best Breeders' Awards and Stallion Awards in the country. The best two year old by legendary sire Quality Road. In about a million five. Very, very impressive debut. Cantering home could not have been more impressive. Coast to coast in the American Pharaoh. He's the real deal. Undefeated and unchallenged at two. He's just too good. He wins the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Corniche. Corniche. And now it's time for the Coolmore Stallion of the Week. And this week, that is Corniche. Corniche's first foals are arriving all across Kentucky right now. We have a couple of them to show you. Here's a filly out of Faith and Honor, bred by Sun Valley Farm. And here's a filly out of the six-time stakes winner, She's on the Warpath, bred by Robert and Luana Lowe. Now, Zoe, I know you were very familiar with Corniche and, and, and involved in the purchasing of this horse at the sales. Is he stamping these folds? Well, what you're saying from these two folds, which is absolutely fantastic, they both look like big, strong, fast fillies. I mean, the one filly on the on the top's got a back end like a Mack truck, and he's been stamping these kind of fillies with like some of his leg and some of his length, but they look strong. And they look fast, which is exactly what you want to see from a horse who was undefeated as a two-year-old, never headed in any of his two-year-old races and managed to take that speed around two turns in his two-year-old year. So, yes, I give them a big two thumbs up, two beautiful-looking, big, strong, fast-looking fillies, which is what we want to see. Cornisha was a TDN rising star, a multiple grade one winner and the best juvenile by Quali Road stands at Coolmore for just $15,000. Meanwhile, now it's time for the heart of our program. The TD and Riders Room is brought to you by the Green Group, a tax accounting and advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry and especially keen on saving you money on your taxes. 
We welcome in now the Green Group Guest of the Week, and it's Frank Taylor. He's the Director of New Business Development for TaylorMade and one of the famous Taylor family members that uh, are so deeply involved in racing. Frank, we're not going to talk horses so much with you today. We're going to talk people. And the reason is you are the person behind Stable Recovery and TaylorMade School of Horsemanship. I'll give you a brief description that it's something to help people that are recovering from substance abuse problems, get their lives together, and then eventually get uh, jobs within the horse racing industry. But tell me the rest of the story. So um, uh, a few years ago, about four or five years ago, I was... um, kind of uh, studying uh, a restaurant here in town called Deviate, like the Deviate from your old wife. And I'd go in there and eat, and um, I was just amazed with how good the food and the service was. And and then I learned that they were uh, only working people that were in recovery. Um, so I said, well, maybe this could work in the horse business, because the horse business, I think one of their biggest issues today is labor. And uh, so I talked to Rob Perez who and his wife who owned the DV8. And I said, do uh, you think this would work in the horse business um, as well as it does in the restaurant business? And, and their answer was, I think it'll work better because you really uh, are working with uh, animals. You're outside. It's, uh, it's good physical labor, which is uh, good for recovery. So I didn't act on that. Um, Immediately, it was just a thought in my mind, and actually, I got busy and I didn't pursue it. And uh, I, um, uh, but then I, I kind of got kickstarted. Uh, seemed like a terrible thing at the time, but uh, my son, uh, my youngest son, became an alcoholic, and I was, uh, you know, I, I was. Uh, it really hit me hard, and I'd been a heavy drinker all my life, and. Uh, you know, I built a big business. I stayed married for 35 years and, you know, had a good family and hadn't really suffered the consequences of alcoholism like a lot of people do. Uh, I was definitely feeling it and it was time for me to quit. And I said I was going to quit for 40 lengths in a row and I'd last a week. Um, but that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. And uh, and then I uh I should have bet everybody I knew because I could have made millions. Uh, <laughs> I've never quit drinking, but uh, but anyway, uh, I quit. It was amazing, like a miracle, because nobody ever saw that coming. And I quit. And when I quit, I thought, you know, I'm not going to have any more fun. That you know, that was my identity. That's my lifestyle. That's what I did. And uh, I thought, but then once I did it and quit, I started feeling better, and I I, I was having more fun than I've ever had. And it's um, uh, from that, it kind of spurred me on to start the School of Horsemanship, which is just an idea of a 90-day program to teach the basics of horsemanship to get people started in like a groom level uh, going on to another farm or to tailor-made. So, um, you know, I had kind of a tough sale job because I went into my brother. I said, I got this idea, you know, I want to bring in a bunch of heroin addicts and and alcoholics and uh, uh, felons in here to work with these horses. And uh, and they were looking at me like I had two heads. And, uh, um, you know, I know how to sell my brother. So I got him to sell. I'm just giving me a 90-day ch- shot at it. And uh, so they they were reluctant because there's a lot of concerns, you know, there, uh, how the, how the uh, you know, how the clientele is going to respond to it. 
you know, uh, is there going to be ODs? Is there going to be this? Going to be that? There's a lot, a lot of things to be concerned about. But here we are into it, you know, uh, three and a half years, and um, you know, we had a hiccup here or there, but nothing, nothing major. And uh, we've really, I think, changed a lot of lives. Uh, we've introduced a lot of people to the horse business, trained a lot of people, and um, you know, it's it's just been uh, amazing results and. Uh, you know, I, I give all the credit to uh, to God because he put these things in place. And it's just been like to me, like one miracle after another. You see people changing their lives. Uh, you see guys getting jobs. You see families reunited. You see fathers in homes. Uh, you see taxpayers become taxpayers. Uh, and it's um, it's just been an amazing, amazing journey so far. And. You know, at first it was very, uh, we didn't know what we were doing. It's just kind of a crawl, walk, run situation. And I think we're up to the running situation now. We've really built a great staff. Uh, we've got Christian Counselor, who's our CEO. And we've got a good um, COO that, uh, that's just been hired. And we just got a really good team uh, and we're ready to build. We've got about 40 guys in the program now. And I believe that we're getting our model figured out, getting our processes, our fundraising, our uh, teaching platform in the right spot. And I just think it's got a very bright future. We're in a position to help a lot of people. Well, you are certainly spreading the word. I mean, initially, most people... Um, just know of Will Walden, who graduated. He was like one of the premier one that everybody's heard of now. And you're just doing an absolutely terrific job for an industry that is begging for help. I mean, we need help in every kind of sphere that there is in horse racing, breeding, you name it. People are just crying out for help. Are the people beating down your door to get into the program knowing that there's a job waiting for them afterwards? Uh, yes, I think, um, you know, if we wanted to have 500 people in this program by the end of the year, that wouldn't be a problem. All we need is space, money and management. You know, it's uh, it's uh, the need is way beyond um, uh, what we can serve at this point and always will be, in my opinion. I mean, it's just... It's just such a um, crisis and a terrible situation, um, and it's destroying society. It's destroying families. It's just absolutely um, one of the worst epidemics in, I think, the history of mankind. And um, but the beautiful thing is, is we have that huge problem, and that we have a huge problem with labor in this country. And so, if you blend those two together, and and it, 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 they can help solve each other. And one of the things about uh, addiction, the positive thing about addiction is, is it, it forces people to come uh, to have more of a spiritual connection, which I think bases their, their lives are much stronger when they have faith and spiritual connection. And they're able to live a better, a better life and be better people and do the right things. And then the other side of it that I think is uh, very strong is, you know, basically for a person to stay sober, they have to help another person. And so it's like a snowball effect. You know, you get 10 guys in here and, and then they each all have to help five or 10 other guys. And it just, you know, as you as you get this thing going, it's just going to mushroom into uh, 
uh, it's going to bring us back from from all the problems we have or hopefully and, and solve a lot of them. And I was very curious about a couple more things about the stable uh, recovery program. Um, you know, it's not just tailor made. Uh, if it was just you guys, it wouldn't work. You need the uh, help of the entire horse racing community in and around Lexington. And if you call up XYZ Farm and say, I've got a, a graduate of my program. He's looking for work. He's uh, we've really taught him something, but he spent a year and a half in jail and he's a recovering heroin addict. Are people slamming the were people ever slamming the phone down on you or were people, you know, fairly receptive to taking a chance on these people? You know, it's been amazing how open people have been to that. Um, you know, I think the whole environment um, and um, employers that own businesses, there's such a lack of of, um, of labor that uh, there used to be, oh, I'm not going to hire a felon. I'm not going to hire an alcoholic. I'm not going to do that. Uh, but now I think they're just very open to that. And... Uh, I was told by uh, Rob Perez, he said, you know, when you're hiring in the groom level, you're hiring in a segment of society. There's addiction all through society, but especially in that level, there's a high, lot of, you know, a high amount of addiction. And so you have you have the choice. You can either hire into the treated group or the untreated group. And he said, what you're going to find out, Frank, is you're going to like hiring into the treated group because they're getting better and they're trying to do better. And he said, when, when you pull somebody out of the fire and, and help save their life, uh, they start developing certain, certain characteristics like the loyalty, being grateful, working uh, as a team and looking out to try to help somebody else. And he said, when you get that uh, built in, uh, it's just those characteristics are so good to build a company and a team. And that's been absolutely what I've what I've found. How proud are you of the job you've done as a father, as a mentor, as the guy that these guys look up to? I know we read the story on Josh Bryan. I believe he's in there with the room with you right now. Like how how does it make you feel to know at this stage of your life, you're in recovery, that you have reached out and helped so many people already with more to come? Uh, it's very rewarding and, and it feels good. But uh, actually, you know, I was drinking for 50 years and I was leading a lot of people in the wrong direction. So the way I look at it is I've got a lot of ground to make up. Uh, but when you see guys like Josh and Josh Franks and uh, uh, Mike Lowry and guys that uh, that are moving up and and their lives are coming together and they're being successful, uh, it's just awesome. And uh you know, we keep like what we call KPIs on uh, stable recovery. That's key predictive indicators. And so one of my favorite indicators is we track how many family members are reunited. And uh, we're up to almost 600 family members reunited, uh, you know, and that's with uh, an un un just under 100 people graduating. But when you... Uh, you know, that, that's what's awesome is when you and we have graduations, you know, usually one a week. Uh, and when the families and the guys have their families come back and they're getting reunited with their kids and their wife. And, and you see that you see that change. Uh, it's just uh, very, very rewarding. I, I, I absolutely that's my passion now. That's 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 my biggest thrill. You know, I, I get more out of that than selling up. 
a million dollar year on their ten million dollar marriage. So that that's what uh, really fires me up now. Frank, it's no coincidence that this has been successful and it involves a horse. And, you know, we're learning so much more all the time about the relationship between horses and people. Um, they've done some great work with uh, soldiers coming back from the wars with PTSD with horses as well. Um, you know, I'm not saying you, you couldn't have made this work if you, you used zebras or something like that. But how important is it is the horse and the connection they make with the people, how important is that towards the recovery and what benefit is the horse to these people? Well, it's um, it's amazing. It's like uh, the secret sauce for um, for stable recovery. That's something we have that other recovery places don't have. And, um, you know, I, when I first started this, we used to have our AA meetings out behind the barn. Uh, and we would have the guys that have been here for a while, they would come. And then the new guys just showing up a day or two, uh, we wouldn't put them to work the first week. So they would we get the other guys started to work and those other guys just hanging around for a ride back to the thing. And inevitably, these mares would come up from this big field and those guys would just gravitate down there and start rubbing them on the head and whatever. And you could just see it's like, wow, look at that. And um you know, I was born in the horse business and I love horses and they're my passion. But, you know, I I didn't really realize how therapeutic horses were or understand that part of it until I started seeing people that are that are broken, interacting with those horses and see the peace and joy that comes to them immediately. And um, it's just uh, it's just an amazing thing. Uh, you know, God, when he made the horse, uh, it was one of the greatest gifts he ever did for man. And uh, and to see uh, these horses and, you know, these horses, uh, they can sense when somebody's in pain or they can sense when things and and they're not judgmental. They don't care if you've got a felony or if you're a heroin addict or whatever. Uh, they're just there to heal you. And um it's just it's just ama amazing to watch, and it's uh, um, it, it, it's really a big part of why why I think we're successful. What's been the biggest success story to date, Frank? Did you have someone come in that was terrified of horses or failed so many times, and you've got them back on their feet? Well, there's so many. There's probably ten different ones I, that that are like the top, but. Um, you know, um, one of the greatest things that happened was when it first started, um, I talked my brothers into doing it for a while. And we were just getting started and I was getting people from the shepherd's house originally before we started stable recovery. And Mike Lowry and Tyler Maxwell, uh, you know, they they had the drug issues, heroin and Will Walden and and they all um uh, they they did fantastic. Will didn't actually come through the program, but he'd been through the Shepherd's House a few times, and he knew about this. Of course, I knew Will. He worked worked lived there one summer with me and worked with horses at my house, and I knew his dad well. And so Will was like uh, one of the guys that was like a hopeless case. You know, it's like he had failed so many times that nobody thought he was ever gonna gonna get it turned around. But uh, he finally got enough pain and and uh, got ready. And so he, he got sober the same time uh, um, Tyler Maxwell and Mike Lowry got sober. Mike Lowry is a heroin addict that lost everything, OD'd in Woodland Park. And he was just, you know, almost, he, he was about gone, written off. 
Tyler Maxwell was very similar. And so all three of those guys got sober and graduated school of horsemanship. Will graduated from um, from the shepherd's house. And so they come to me and they said, hey, uh, we want to start training horses and we need to find somebody to buy 10 horses to train. And um, and we want to buy these auction horses that you pay less than 50 for and you can run them against cheaper horses. So I was like, all right, I got to find somebody to find <laughs> heroin addicts and uh and get going I'm, I'm pretty good salesman but i couldn't get that one pulled off uh so um anyway i just took a leap of faith and i said hell i'm gonna do it uh and uh i was planning on buying you know 10 of them for twenty thousand a piece and then me and my daughter katie and will got over there and got looking at them we were liking the ones that were bringing 40 so we ended up spending 400 and then i did the budget to take care of them for a year and that was another 400 so my wife was getting a little a little uh, nervous about it, so I ended up getting uh, several like-minded guys to take a quarter of it, and I took three quarters of it. And uh, and you know what's just amazing? Will stayed sober. All those guys stayed sober. Uh, they've grown. That now Will has his own business and good business. He's tracking a lot of clients, winning a lot of races. Frank, you mentioned that you could take in a lot more people if you had the, the ability to do so. The uh, I guess we're, you're, you're talking about um, maybe not having enough financial backing. And I was also wondering, you know, why wouldn't this work also in other racing communities like Ocala or something like that? So to see that this to see this thing grow and to get bigger, whether that's in Kentucky or to spread around the country, what do you guys need for that to happen? Well, I um, I think one good thing is, is it has it has not grown too fast um, and we've not allowed it to grow too fast. And, you know, anytime you start a new venture or business, you got to work out the kinks uh, of the operation. And we've really been able to work out the kinks and we've really got a strong, strong team. Uh, we've got a very good board. And Dan Pride from Darley, he, he runs the board and he does a fantastic job. And uh, we just had um, amazing success raising money. It's been it's the support has been crazy. Um, you know, we uh, back uh, early in in 23, I was getting a little nervous. We um, we got down to six weeks of operating capital and. Uh, and this is another God thing is we wrote a grant to the opioid abatement, um, our first grant and for 300,000 and, uh, the, uh, we got that 300,000 and then, uh, uh, then the same day, Sue, uh, Susie and Ed Orr sent us, uh, 250,000. So in one day we got 550,000 when we were about, we were living on fumes. So, um, and then, you know, it's just amazing the support. A lot of it has to do, has to do with the, what the, the TDM has done for us with all these articles and, and allowing us to advertise free in there. And it, it, that's been and then having this this segment of the road back, um, you know, it, it's like the greatest ad campaign you could ever have. And then you've got people like uh, Lynn and John Green supporting us. And, you know, there's just so many people. Um, that are supporting us. We had a golf tournament this year, and first year we had it, and we made ninety thousand. And the and the the next uh, this past year we had a fantastic. Uh, we had we had fifty teams, 
and uh, a lot of support. And, and um, we had a matching donor and we ended up uh, making 300 at that. So it's, it's really growing and it's, it's expensive. And, you know, I initially was thinking just like um, you were, Bill, is, you know, um, let's start one in Ocala, let's start one in New York. I've talked to people there, but then after I took time and I thought about it and prayed about it, I said, you know, we got plenty of addicts and horses right here in Lexington. Uh, so let's really uh, work in this area right now and let's get this, uh, let's get this really perfected and get our base built up and uh, then we could, could, can grow it from there. I applaud you. I really do. We need more it's people like you. In, I'm enjoying it. We need more people like you in the business, Frank. We really do. Well, it's, uh, I've been blessed. I've had uh, me and my brothers, we started out with nothing and we've been blessed a lot. And uh, the most recent blessing has been not this time. He's been uh, a godsend. And uh, so we're, we're trying to give back and uh, trying, trying to do the right thing and, and keep this business going. You know, we had a great role model of my father. He was like, uh, he was always out to help uh, the underdog or the little guy or the guy that needed a job. And that, that was just his, uh, that was just the way he operated. You know, he, uh, he, um, he had a very strong faith and he believed that you just don't go to church and express your faith. He felt like that you need to take it to work with you every day and you need to express it there and work with people and, and you know, live out what, what Jesus wants us to do, which is to help one another. And, uh, and we just got a great opportunity to do that. And, um, and I, I'm actually, I'm having more fun right now than I've ever had in the horse business. And I've had a lot of fun. So. Well, Frank, thanks so much for joining us today as the Green Group Guest of the Week. And like Zoe, I, I would repeat everything she said, you know, applaud you. It's great that you're out there doing this, helping both the industry and people at the same time. And, uh, you know, it, 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 you should des you deserve a ton of praise for this. And uh, I'm sure the racing community uh, certainly um, feels the same way. So, for, uh, Frank Taylor, thanks so much for being our guest and keep up the good work. All right. Well, thanks for all, all your all support. It's been amazing. And, uh, you know, I think uh, the future's bright. I think we're going to impact a lot of people and uh, and do a lot of things good for the industry. So I appreciate everything you all do. Cheers, Frank. As the Green Group Guest of the Week, Mr. Frank Taylor will receive a free one-hour tax consultation from the Green Group. For more information on how the Green Group can help you and help your pocketbook, log on to www.greenco.com. Are you paying too much in taxes? The Green Group can help. There's a reason the most successful owners, breeders, and horsemen select the Green Group as their tax advisors. They save you money and share successful strategies. Over the past 40 years, the Green Group founder, Len Green, has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport, like Eclipse Award-winning champions Jaywalk and Wonder Wheel. His DJ stable competes at the highest level and has received the game's most prestigious honors. Len Green's in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge, combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies, has produced positive results for his clientele and has made the Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the thoroughbred business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100.
or visit our website at www.greenco.com. The Green Group, proven strategies to save you taxes. With some of the fullest fields in the country and quality racing year round, there's never been a better time to reap the rewards of breeding and racing in Kentucky. Purse money in Kentucky is at an all-time high, as is average purse per race, outpacing California, Florida, and New York. Kentucky Breds. Breed them. Raise them. Race them. We all win. The TD and Writers Room also brought to you by Kentucky Breds, and that covers a lot with Bob Baffert Horses now currently not eligible for the Kentucky Derby this year. The TDN has renamed its annual rankings from the Derby Top 12 to the Sophomore Top 12 in order to accurately reflect what we feel like are the country's very best three-year-olds. And who are they? Of course, they're all Kentucky Breds. You start off with a couple of Bafferts and Isos number one and Muth number two. Then you got Sierra Leone and Track Phantom. We'll talk about them in just a little while, as well as Fierceness on down. The entire TDN top 12 bred in the Commonwealth state. Breed them, race them, raise them. We all win. And but first now, first things first, Zoe. Thanks so much, Randy. And this week on First Things First, presented by Santa Anita, I caught up with winning jockey J.J. Hernandez. We talked about Kinza, but first we started off talking about big orange earplugs. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Um, she's, she's a live wire. I noticed you had some earplugs on a piece of string. When did you take those out, going into the gate? Yeah, uh, right behind uh, uh, enter to the gate because she, she was a little excited today and uh, she's, uh, she's a little nervous. She's a little nervous uh, even, in the, even in the mornings, but you know, she's getting, uh, she's getting along good uh, today. She was a little, uh, she was sweating a little bit in the post party, but uh, I get it, you know, for a second, second time out. But you know, when I take the plus out behind the gate, I like it because she was she was quiet, she didn't move. Right. So that's a good sign. You know, that's a good sign that she was she was ready. She was she was gamed on the gate. First time going long for her, you're riding for Bob. You've got Flavian breathing down your neck at the half mile pole. What are you thinking? Yeah, I feel it. I feel him uh over there on the backside. And you know, I say uh, I asked my Philly to pick it up and then actually she picked it up and I was like uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not gonna let the, the, other, the other horse pass me too too early. Maybe he passed me. He's gonna pass me in the wire or right after the wire. But now, not on the backside or around the turn. And but you know, I have I have a lot of feeling. I, I was really confident with my feeling because when I asked to do that, she she responded and she never get the other feeling come by. You were here when Omaha Beach was running. How cool is it to have seen him run here at Santa Anita and then be riding one of his progeny? Uh, oh, that was. That was a really good horse, you know. Uh, I, I never, I never had the opportunity to to to, to ride with, uh, with with him, but I, I I saw him in the races, and I, it was a really good horse. And now I'm now doing this running with, like you say, it's 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 a it's a pleasure. All right, thanks, Juan. Thank good luck you. in the next. Thanks, thanks, Oli. Cheers, mate. Many thanks to Juan Hernandez. And yes, he is a fast walker. I had to keep up with him. Um, 
for talking to us about Kinza. Do want to remind you that we have five days straight of racing at Santa Anita. We'll start on Thursday with the post of 12.30. We will race Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and holiday racing on Monday. So do join us at the Great Race Place. Well, the main focus of action in thoroughbred racing this weekend is no doubt going to be at the fairgrounds where they have a terrific card, including major preps for the Kentucky Oaks, the Rachel Alexander Stakes presented by uh, Fasic Tipton and the Risen Star Stakes. Um, I'm going to go into each one of these races, but I, first impressions, especially the Risen Star, these races came up great. And uh, it looks like the fairgrounds route to the Kentucky Derby and Kentucky Oaks is really popular right now with the trainers because I think they like the spacing um, of it. You 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 can um, really you know do what the modern trainer wants: get five, six, seven weeks in between races, and then come into the uh, Churchill Downs. Um, Rachel Alexander Stakes, intricate to me, is the horse that um, probably goes through her. She won the Goldenrod last year by five and a quarter lengths. She's taking the same route for Brendan Walsh that um, Pretty Mischievous took uh, last year when she won the Rachel Alexandra, then ran second in the Fairground Oaks, and of course won. The Kentucky Oaks, but uh, a lot of competition. Alpine Prince from Brad Cox. Brad Cox also has Silver Bullet Day winner West Omaha. Should be a very good race, Zoe. Yeah, it, it really should. And I'm with you on Intricate. We're going to be talking about Progeny of Gunrunner, not only in this race, but also the next race. Um, perfect shots by Gunrunner in here. She was beaten by West Omaha, but Intricate. Back-to-back wins at Keeneland and at Churchill. She was a $280,000 purchase. I think the race goes through her, but West Omaha has a win over the trip. Two wins, actually, at fairgrounds. And anytime you can win by five lengths at the fairgrounds, that's that's pretty good. It's a long stretch. Now, going a mile and 70, I believe they go to the first wire, not the second wire, but she was in front by five. So that's a big thumbs up for West Omaha and Brad Cox. And I think Louis Sayers is going to take it to him early. Oh, what a race this is. I mean, you've got the winners of the Pocahontas and the Goldenrod from last fall's Churchill Lounge meeting. You've got the winners of the Untappable and of the Silver Bullet Day, the two Fairgrounds Oaks preps that have already been run. I agree. I'll, I'll make it three for three. I loved Intricate's win in the Goldenrod. And the reason why I liked it so much, it's one thing to come from last place, 10 lengths back to win when you get a great trip and when you get a fast pace in front of you. If you do it when you have a slow pace in front of you and your fan six wide into the stretch and you're still able to run all the horses down by the eighth pole and then draw off and win. Intricate looked really, really good to me. And I know Brendan Walsh says that her training has been uninterrupted uh, throughout this uh, this run up to the uh, to, to the Rachel Alexandra looking for horses to play with Intricate. Yeah, I mean, West Omaha looked really good. Alpine Princess uh, is very versatile. Throw out a couple here you may consider for your exotics. Uh, The one and two horses. Tarifa, number one. Had a three-wide trip on both turns last time at the fairgrounds. Uh, another horse got the jump on her turning for home. She was still able to run that horse down. Now she should save ground, and she gets a competitive number, right, as she goes into Stakes Company for the first time. And here's a horse that's about 10 or 12 to 1, I think. If you get a chance to go back and watch the replays of the number two horse, Pinnock, you're going to be really impressed. 
right? First time out at Woodbine, she beat a pretty average field, maybe even a soft field. But last time out at the fairgrounds in a five and a half furlong sprint on a sloppy track, she leaves the gate. She's next to last. She's three lengths back. She runs up. She gets stopped a little bit. She has to pause on heels. Wait, 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 wait. And then bursts through and draws off to win by four. Visually, very impressive. She's bred to get the distance. So I think you could do a lot worse at a big price than uh, playing Pinnock underneath Intricate and some of your exotics. It's conceivable that the Risen Star might be the best prep race run for the Kentucky Derby uh, all year. Um, maybe the, the only to be eclipsed, perhaps, by the Louisiana Derby. Um, you know, usually you look at these races and there's one big star and then a couple horses that you, you don't think are really going anywhere. I, I see f- at least four horses in this race that I think can win the Kentucky Derby. Actually, I ought to make it, uh, I'm going to make it five. And that's Honor Marie, Sierra Leone, Hall of Fame, Catching Freedom, and Track Phantom. And, uh, that, the deepness of this is, uh, tremendous. Um, I suppose the, uh, favorite is going to be Sierra Leone and he's going to sort of get most of the attention. $2.3 million purchase by the Coolmore folks, trained by Chad Brown, ran a really good race in the Rems and looks like he had it won. Then Dornak came back in the last couple of strides to beat him, but, uh, blinkers go on. And, you know, it's all the story. Chad Brown, Unlike Pletcher and Baffert, he doesn't really emphasize the Derby that much. But of course, for Chad Brown to get his first Derby winner would be a pretty big deal. And I think this is one of the best three-year-olds out there. But um, I'm taking nothing away from any of those other horses that I uh, uh, talked about, especially Hall of Fame, Randy. Uh, I know it's just an allowance race, but a 94 buyer, he won by 10 and a quarter, trained by Steve Asmussen, another guy looking for his first um uh, Kentucky Derby win and also owned by Coolmore. Coolmore spent 2.3 million on Sierra Leone and 1.4 million on Hall of Fame. So you have $3.7 million worth of horse, horse flesh in the Risen Star. So a uh, terrific race. Yeah, both by gunrunners, Sierra Leone and, and, uh, and Hall of Fame. You mentioned the popularity of this series at the fairgrounds. You mentioned a couple of the reasons they like a horseman like the distances, a mile and an eight for this race, and then a mile and three sixteenths for the Louisiana Derby. They like the progression. They like the timing of it. They also love the fairgrounds racing surface. Trainers absolutely adore being able to train at the fairgrounds because of the surface and also because of the weather. You don't have the freeze thaw thing that you get at other places like New York or Oakland. Uh, so that's that the combination of things really makes this a popular uh a popular destination for Kentucky Derby uh, contenders. It's just such a tough race. I mean, all the things I liked about Intricate, you can also say the same things about Honor Murray. In the, in the race that Honor Marie ran in the Kentucky Jockey Club. Come from behind, well back, slow pace, fanned wide, wins anyway. And I thought at the time, wow, this horse is a legitimate Kentucky Derby horse. And then along comes Sierra Leone. Along comes Hall of Fame. I'm going to give the edge to Hall of Fame. Just a slight edge, even though he's going from a maiden race uh, into graded stakes company and he's given up a lot of experience against these other horses. Uh, I may be just getting a little too carried away with the maiden win, but I really liked visually the way he won it and the fact that the pace was so fast and then he just re-breaks at the top of the lane and draws off. But Zoe, I could see this going any one of a number of directions. It's such a deep field. I mean, when we consider that last year's um, well, and last last week's stake at Oaklawn Park, 
800,000 grade three. This is 400,000. It's a grade two. So we've got DeSormo with one in here, Joey Foster, Bet Whitworth, Chad Brown, Todd Pletcher, McPeak, Asmussen, Brad Cox, Pletcher, Mott, Asmussen, Dallas Stewart. It's just a full field of I'd like to be down there just eyeing these horses in the paddock, to be perfectly honest. I've seen a few of them already. Um, we look very hard at Sierra Leone, who sold for 2.3 million. He was sold, um, by Gainsway. And I can honestly tell you, I have never seen a better looking yearling than him. Absolutely beautiful son of Gunrunner. Now, is any horse worth 2.3 million? I don't know. I think the mud kind of took him out of his game. He was a long way back when Doorknock beat him and snuck up the inside last time out. But I believe there is a whole lot more there with the blinkers on for Sierra Leone. We know Asmussen knows how to get one ready, and you better believe that Hall of Fame will be fit and ready to run the race of his life in here. And, and funnily enough, they were both bought. They're both by Gunrunner, but they were both bought out of the same sale as well the Fazig Tipson sale. So I am really looking forward to this race. I truly am. The one, the one thing that concerns me about Sierra Leone, uh, he showed some tactical speed in his debut. And then you mentioned the mud that he catches in the Remsen, but he just completely dropped the bit and took himself way back early in the race for no real apparent reason. Uh, they're putting the blinkers on for this race. Chad's going to try to use those maybe to keep him a little more focused in the first part of the race and hopefully get him a little closer. But that just kind of always concerns me just a little bit when a horse can just completely lose focus uh, and take himself out of the race. So it'll be interesting to see if the blinkers can wake him up a little bit in the first part of the race and exactly how far back he is. Uh, before we wrap it up, a quick mention of the fact that Toby Keith, uh, country western star, passed away last week at age 62, uh, known mainly for his music. But in horse racing circles, he was an owner and breeder, uh, raced under the name of Dream Walking Farm. Uh, Dream Walking was one of his uh, hit uh, songs. Um, you know, and the cool thing about it was. You know, he didn't just stay in the background. He was a big advocate for horse racing. I know he did some stuff uh, for the Breeders' Cup as, as a racing ambassador. And anytime somebody put a microphone in front of him, uh, he couldn't say enough good things about the sport. So music fans will miss him. And so will uh, people in the thoroughbred racing industry. Randy, did you ever meet him? Yeah, one time. Uh, really nice guy. Very approachable by anybody, especially if you wanted to talk about horse racing, because he absolutely loved the sport. To hear the stories that were told after his death from the people that were the closest to him on the road when he was performing, uh, right up until the time he went out on stage. He had, the, he had the TV on with all the replays, and he was studying the past performance and things like that. Uh, and he died this past Monday of, uh, of stomach cancer. Friday, he had a horse win at the fairgrounds. And Monday, he had a horse win at the fairgrounds, right? Horses that he bred. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a loss for horse racing. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's really a tragedy. It was a great call by John Dooley. If you could go back and listen to it again, John Dooley really, you know, he knows what's going on. It was a very, very good call at the fairgrounds. Good guy, great loss. 
The TDN Writers Room once again is brought to you by XBTV. This week's work of the week is National Treasure. He worked five furlongs in 101 and three on Saturday for Hall of Famer Bob Baffert, the winner of the Pegasus World Cup in his last start. National Treasure is leaving for Saudi today along with wider barrio for a crack at the $20 million Saudi Cup. And just watching him, guys, there is no way he could possibly be training any better whatsoever. This is an atypical feat on the dashboard work. Having already shipped all the way down to Florida and coming back, Bob Baffert's got to be licking his chops with how well National Treasure is doing. He is the biggest threat along with Dharma Satakaki in this year's $20 million uh, Saudi Cup, guys. Yeah, as we talked about initially, right in the aftermath of the Pegasus World Cup, Baffert said he was inclined to keep National Treasury in the United States and not send him overseas. But when he came out of the race so well, and now he's training so well, and there's $20 million at stake, and he's going to be the favorite, how can you not go over there and take a shot? Do you think he'll be favored over um, Whiteberry? I do. Probably. I, we'll see. A word, Derma Sotogake. No. <laughs> Take your pick, any of the three. Did I say that well? Were you impressed with that, Randy? You did. You did. Thank you. Thank you. I've been practicing. All the thrills. Fraction of the bills. Experience the power of the partnership. Change your life. Make new friends and compete at the highest level of thoroughbred racing. West Point Thoroughbreds, the gold standard in racing partnerships. Visit westpointtb.com. The TD and Riders are brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds. Just last year at the two-year-old sales, West Point found Slider, stakes winner, $240,000 at OBS April. They're now pointing to the Gotham stakes for him to try him out on dirt. That'll be March the 2nd. They also found Carson's Run, named after Carson Yost, grade one winner. That was at OBS April for $170,000. And they found Scatify, who was just third behind Nisos and the Robert B. Lewis. He cost one hundred and twenty grand at basic tipped mid-Atlantic. And now he's going to be headed to another Kentucky Derby prep. So how do they do it? Well, West Point Thoroughbreds, Likes to lean on the Bloodstock agent of the stars, David in Gordo. So they'll be very busy at the upcoming two-year-old sales looking for other horses that can vault their partners into the world of instant camaraderie. If you're interested in joining a West Point partnership, you can go to westpointtb.com. Well, that's a wrap on this week's show. I'd like to thank my partners, Zoe Cabin and Randy Moss. No, not that Randy Moss. Randy Moss the horse racing expert. Uh, our Green Group guest of the week, Frank Taylor, our producers, Katie Petruniak and Anthony LaRocca, and our editors, Aaliyah LaRocca and Nathan Wilkinson. And uh, Lucy, Lucy, there Lucy. Is. Yeah, sound asleep. Can't see her. Uh, can't see her, you need can't to move the her. camera a little bit. Uh oh, how's that? There we go. There we go. Hi, Lucy. There she is. Doodles <laughs> outside. She's, she never misses a podcast. She's a big fan. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Tune us in. We'll see you next week.